1: Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast.
2: Yeah, Herschel Walker. Herschel, listen to him.
0: Talk about President Trump.
3: Would you support a Trump 2024
2: run?
0: Yes, I would. And let me tell you, President Trump is my friend. Has nothing to do with has nothing to do with that. He's my friend. I won't uh, leave my allies, which is what Senator Warnock and Joe Biden did in Afghanistan. They left their allies. They left their allies. And right now on a foreign stage, a lot of these people don't trust us no more. They don't trust us to be strong anymore. So they're waiting to see who's going to stand up, who's going to trust. And and they have no one to trust right now because I said, President Trump is my friend and he won't stand up with Biden when yet he's voted with him 96% of the time let's
2: talk about let's talk about Raphael Warnock now won't stand up with Biden even though he votes with him 96% of the time now this is uh, doesn't sound like somebody to me who lacks the savvy to handle life in Washington as a US senator probably the cushiest of jobs let's be real
3: so- Mr. Walker, are you concerned about the ongoing legal investigations around the country, and including here in Georgia? You have 30 seconds.
0: Well, first of all, I will hope that Senator Warnock, he and myself being people of color, we want the scales of justice to have, not have a hand on it. We want the Lady Justice to be blind. But in this instance here, talking about Lady Trump. Justice is not blind. Talking about And I Trump. said right now, with everything that is going on, what I like to do is get to what's important. What's important is protecting the border. What's important is protecting people on the street. What's important is getting this inflation down, not what's going on there in Washington, talking about whether President Trump is guilty or not guilty. What I want to do is see due process, which is what I hope Senator Warnock and myself would love to see.
2: All right, so don't worry about the outcome. Worry about whether justice, the system, is being operated with justice the ideal Herschel Walker too dumb 8605229842 we're going to the BPS lawyers traffic center checking in with Mark Christopher what's happening on those roads Marcus
1: it's the Todd Feinberg show live from the NJ Diet studios on WTIC news talk 1080
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. WTIC, thank you for being with us this afternoon. I feel a, a little extra invigoration today being back because I had to sit out 3 days and and uh, that's a lousy thing to have to do when you have something you love as much as I love being on the radio. So, I'm really happy to be here today with you and and uh, happy that you are there with us here at WTIC. 8605229842. Leibowitz, Michael Leibowitz, did you hear the good news, Leibs? Carlos?
4: Yes, I did hear, I did hear the good news. All right. Just a... I don't know when, dude.
2: Uh, it could be a couple of weeks, maybe a little longer. It could be less. You know, it's kind of like how your thing was a couple of months ago.
4: Yes, okay. Well, I'm very pleased that he'll be getting out of prison, and I wish him the absolute best.
2: Me too. So.
4: So, well. Before I get started, you were talking about Herschel Walker's mental health, and I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure that about 20 years or so ago, I read an article that said that Herschel Walker was diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. Yeah, they
2: discussed that that during the debate. What does that mean to you?
4: Well, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, there's... People that don't even think that it's, it's the experts that don't even think it's an actual disorder, but it basically means that somebody has multiple personalities you know, within themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It doesn't, you know, whatever. I don't know if that disqualifies him from all. Sounds
2: office, like he's been diagnosed as a politician.
4: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. The very fact that he thinks Donald Trump is his friend tells me that he's too stupid to be a senator. <laughs>
2: Be nice now, Levo. Hey,
4: you asked the question, but uh, I actually want to talk about another dummy that we have right here in our own state, and that's our governor, we otherwise known as Jolly Ned. Uh, this guy is a lying lightweight, Todd, and he makes me absolutely sick to my stomach just watching him. Can I talk to you about his latest commercial? I don't know if it's latest, but it's please just go for it. Fill
2: us time. in on all the gory details. Okay, so he has this commercial where,
4: you know, it's Ned fixed this, Ned fixed that, Ned's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's funny because they show him talking to a cop when they're talking about how crime came down, and he couldn't even be interested in what the cop was saying for the purposes of the commercial. He, he looked disinterested there. But he made, you know, aside from all the ridiculous claims he made, he made two in particular that really got on the about skin, and one was that Ned uh, is, you know, he's contributing to the downward trend in crime, and he's addressing the causes of juvenile crime. I would love to ask Ned or not what he thinks he did that has caused the downward uh, trend in crime and what he thinks is the underlying causes of juvenile crime and what he's doing about it, because I will guarantee, I would bet my freedom that he does not know. But he has no clue what the underlying causes of juvenile crime. He might be able to, you know, spout off some left talking points, but he has no idea. Yeah, I'm and not sure he even knows the
2: governor. talking points. He's so disinterested in anything having to do with the job of governor, other than being governor, that he, and and he never gets asked because he has his life uh, carefully orchestrated to make sure he can't be confronted with anything but most the just the most mundane of human contacts.
4: Yeah, I agree with you, Todd. I mean, he's, he seems very disinterested to me. He seems like a dumb... Michael, your connection together. today
2: is particularly bad if there's a, a way you can speak a little louder or, I don't know, walk... Is it any better now? Yeah, that sounds a
4: little better. Okay, I just had to reposition my stupid little microphone. Here. Yeah, much better. So... Uh... Well, yeah. So what I was saying is that Ned comes off to me as a very unintelligent person and a very dishonest person. And, and the reason I say he's unintelligent is because he never seems to know what he's talking about. And the reason I say he's dishonest is because he pretends like he does. If, if I had my druthers on their next debate, if I were a candidate Stefanowski, what I would say to Ned is, OK, Ned, you say that you're helping with the crime problem. What makes a functioning correctional system then? Tell me that. And then I would ask them, what is multisystemic therapy? Because multi systemic therapy is the only treatment that I'm aware of that has been shown to actually work with seriously troubled adolescents. What I mean, we're talking about juvenile criminals. They're usually called juvenile, mm-hmm. but for, to, to make it clear, for you know, juvenile criminals, multi-systemic therapy has actually been shown to work and All right, what s-
2: describe that to us
4: okay multi-systemic therapy is, is it's based on system family systems theory and psychology essentially it's that if you want to really help a kid change around his life, you have to completely alter the systems that he's embedded in so his family his community uh, his school you You have to have people that are really going to devote themselves to helping him, and then,
2: and how do they, that, they do they that? They all, do they do they have the kid go through therapy with the family members, or do they put him into a they, a separate environment so he can learn how to behave free of their influences?
4: They do both. So they embed therapists within the family that teach the family how to interact with the troubled kid. And, you know, what, what would actually work with them? Is they give therapy to the troubled kid and they deal with his teachers and his schooling so that at school they can deal with him properly. Now, it might sound, you know, well that's a, a lot, and it is, but it also has been shown. I, I believe that it's five to one in cost effectiveness compared to what his criminal career would be like absent the therapy. So it ends up saving society money. But my only point in bringing it up isn't to advocate for although I do. It's just to show that we have a governor who's claiming that he recognizes the causes of juvenile crime and he's addressing them. And I guarantee he doesn't know what that is. He wouldn't know what family systems theory is. He wouldn't know what cognitive behavioral therapy is. He's just a fraud, and he could be exposed very easily on these things if somebody would just... Ask him. was when he talked about how good he is for the economy. Okay, Ned, what did you do that made a good economy? In what ways is the economy good? Well, how did
2: oh, you bring good. in all that new tax revenue? How did you do that? How did you make it possible to balance the budget, Ned? What did you do? Well, you know, you know, Todd. It's funny
4: too because I heard this said on, on a national level the other day when um, Jared Bernstein said, "Well, an increase in tax revenue is also causing." You know, this increase. Uh, uh, inflation. What did he say? No, he didn't say inflation. He said the increase in tax revenue is helping us to pay down the debt. It's helping us to decrease deficit. Oh, money. yeah. Well, well, of course you've got an increase in tax revenue when you've got an increase of money in the economy that's causing inflation. If there's more money in the economy, of course you're going to have more coming in in taxes.
2: Yes, it's and another way tax- of saying that there's inflationary spending going on.
4: Now, if you have the state of Connecticut, for instance, and prices are rising, right, then the sales tax, you're going to be collecting more sales tax revenue because the percentage of stuff purchased is going to be higher, and you're going to have more revenues. That's not necessarily a good thing, but yet Ned comes out and pretends that it is. And never mind the gift that he got from the federal government, and then he claims he's, you know, Das here with the economy. The guy, I believe, Todd, has a serious glass jaw. And that kind of brings me to the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and that's the—you have two types of callers in in relation to candidate Stefanowski, and one type of caller likes to criticize him, and the other caller likes to say that we should never criticize him. The critics, I believe, in large part, missed the mark. And the reason I say that is because— we don't know the information that that Bob has. He, you know, he's an insider. He has, you know, the, the their inside polls, inside information on what voters want, on what voters think. So it's very difficult for the outsider to say how he should run a campaign. And I would never, you know, I'm, I'm not saying how he should run his campaign. What I'm saying is that Ned Lamont has a last jaw that I think Stefanowski should go after. But on the other side, this idea that political candidates, even if they're on, quote, our side, end quote, you know, I think is silly. I think we should be criticizing all politicians and all political candidates. We shouldn't pretend that they're better than that they are. I think we need to remember that these people are applying for a job. And any anytime someone applies for a job, they should be screwing I, shouldn't they?
2: Yes, uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to scrutinize people. So, Governor Lamont, four years ago, what was there to go on? And, and who was there to dig up information and provide that information so that we could weigh issues? If you have certain sophistication about politics or experience with it or contact with former politicians or other people who operate in the business, you know, there's ways to have insights. But the average person is just watching TV and absorbing the little bits of information that fly by and creating an impression in their minds. And in in Connecticut right now, like if you're looking at Ned Lamont after five years of watching him in, in recent public life, he's demonstrated nothing. Yet people are somehow satisfied with the idea that he seems affable and even sophisticated people think, well, he's been in there and he's been affable, and only uh, only 11,000 people died from COVID, so I guess he did a pretty good job. You know, the, and, and you <laughs> want to slap people upside the head and say, how could you be so out of it? But that's the condition people are in. I'm, I'm not sure how to deal with that.
4: Well, if you remember during the first Iraq war, what the first President Bush's approval rating was, I believe it was like
2: 90%. Right yeah, after the uh, attacks, the September 11th right attacks.
4: No, 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 no. I'm talking about the first president. president. Oh, I'm sorry. But the, the first, w-
2: Yes, when he yeah. uh, after he won the first Gulf War, yes. First, uh,
4: the Gulf War, yeah. And, but he still, nonetheless, lost to Clinton not long after that. And I think you have a similar situation with Ned Lamont. I think he's doing you know somewhat well in these polls because COVID was like a war to most people. I think and they, they rally around the guy at the top. You have one minute left. You know, he didn't do a very good job. But I think he's very susceptible if somebody would go after him. Yeah. Oh, that's well proven. would go after him. No, your, yeah. your
2: thing about the glass jaw is totally true. He, he is a glass jaw guy. If he feels the least bit uneasy, all of his ability to perform is based on his cockiness and his sense of infallibility. It's, I've got so yeah. much money, nobody ever lays a finger on me. And he's got that way of walking through the world with utter confidence.
4: Yes. In the two issues that I mentioned, the correctional system and his claims about juvenile crime, I believe are just two issues that would land a knockout punch on this guy if Mr. Stefanowski would just take it. Thank you for having me on, Todd. The lady's going to hang up on us.
2: Thank you for giving us the setup. Michael Leibowitz calling from prison where he will be a short time longer. He will be coming out in... uh, Several weeks, I, I understand. eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. It's 9842 uh, It's very exciting. The, I, I've, uh, I have gone through some changes with regard to the view of prisoners because I understand prisons so much now, having had them on for three years. And, and for those of you who listen, as different prisoners call, but particularly Lebo because he's on the most, over what's been over three years now hopefully you have acquired some sense of just how our insight into prisons through the prisoners proves the, the theories of government that we discuss here and makes all the more obvious just what a utter waste government is at its best at its best it squanders money at its worst It uses that money to create a shadow government that, while it's squandering great assets, it's using those assets to create machinery, unnecessary machinery, that costs a fortune and and doesn't just squander current assets but future ones and has us deeply in debt, destroys us financially but also dismantles our democratic systems. We can't have fair elections while we have corruption in government operating at the magnitude of corrupt government that the state of Connecticut has. It's miraculous how destructive government is, how clear and obvious and quantifiable it is. It's been quantified for us by the government. They confess to having wasted $100 billion rigging elections by over-benefiting and under, uh, putting away money for special interest groups known as public sector unions. And you're on the hook for that. The largest per person debt in the country, per taxpayer debt. Isn't that incredible? And everybody goes along, there's a campaign going on, everybody operates like things are normal. Couldn't be more abnormal. 8605229842, we're going to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center where Mark Christopher is keeping an eye on the roads. Anything of interest going on, Mark?
1: the information you want the information you want when you wanted. Want wtic news talk 1080
2: you remember many months ago when when uh, jolly ned said he was lying when he said that His wife, Annie, was in in, uh, Nashville. (laughs) That was one of the great moments. You know, Leibowitz was just talking about the glass jaw of Ned Lamont. And it's true. He's got a complete glass jaw. And if confronted on anything that would require him to know something spontaneously about public policy in the state of Connecticut, it's it's, uh, likely very easy to make him fall apart and lose his confidence and show his shaky edgy side because he is a con man and con men depend on uh knowing their you know having their magic dust with them and knowing exactly how to make the explosion happen at the right time and all all of it all of the con being orchestrated so anyway this is uh this is annie lamont talking about nashville and memphis and tennessee and how much she loves it and how much good business is going on there and it's It turns out Ned was telling the truth. She is in Nashville.
5: The genealogical tree is done in five to 10 years. It's it's going to be an amazing number of companies, really great companies that come out of uh, starting with HCA, but, you know, come out of all these new um, talented entrepreneurs that are, are founding multiple companies and they're, and they're teaching their teams how to, how to like, what are the right ways to behave in healthcare and like, how do you make the appropriate profit? How do you create a model that makes sense and does good by, you know, the customer and the patient um, and having that you know, mission in the forefront? And I actually think it's a better cultural training in healthcare than you're seeing in San Francisco and New York City. So I'm excited about that. And Puneet saying, as you know, you know Puneet came out of Aspire, and you know is now running a Quartet uh, in New York. And it just you know you can just see in the DNA. You know he's just yeah. got the right DNA to do this right. So yeah. It's fun.
2: I think. How about that? Pretty interesting, huh? Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Rick in Cheshire. Hi, Rick. Todd. They both
3: have glass jaws. We just need somebody to throw the punch.
0: Did both hear, meaning
3: you, both uh, I'm sorry, lumenthal and Lamotte
2: oh
0: okay, they
3: obviously have class jaws mm-hmm. they're very vulnerable if somebody just threw the punch, did you hear and I don't know if you commented, I just started listening did you hear Levy's phone call earlier into the station?
2: You're talking to Tom this morning? yeah, yes, I yeah. did. she made the
3: phone call and it seemed as if someone ambushed her. she didn't even have the talking points in front of her that she could have just crushed right through. I mean, she mentioned crime a little bit, but how could you call into a radio station and not be ready to throw two, three minutes of punches at the glass jaw of Blumenthal? She tried to tie a little bit. She talked about his voting record, but she could have just said, I want to get back to the policies of the prior administration who she's been endorsed by Trump. Mm-hmm. I want to get the full spectrum energy independence because that's better for America. I want to bring jobs back to the United States and to Connecticut. I want law and order. I don't want another summer of 2020. I don't want to see all the rioting. I want to support our police departments. I want to call out corrupt DAs and attorney generals. I want border security because it's good for America. I don't want any more wasteful spending like the Inflation Reduction Act. The Democrats have done 75% of your campaigning for you. Yes, you just need to close and we don't have closers in Connecticut. They're closing all around the country, just not here.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that came across with the Herschel-Walker debate, which is what we were talking about during the first hour. Thank you, Rick, for the call. And that was well done. You should be doing some consulting. H The BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark Christopher with the latest on the ride. Now,
1: back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080.
2: It is WTIC, a Monday afternoon. Easy commute today, apparently, so that's good news. And uh, what's going on? The holiday season fast approaching, and we've got Chris Powell here from the Journal Enquirer to talk to, which we do every week. Chris, welcome. Hey, Todd. Good to be here. Nice to talk with you. I have have had COVID since we spoke last. Yeah, I can. And. and it's it's nice to be back and to uh to have you here on the first day back because you've always got such incisive stuff about what's going on in the state so what's exciting you most today
6: oh I guess my most recent column was uh about the bear invasion where uh, we're suffering uh I, I wrote it before the uh the before bear today's ten year old boy over the weekend and and, uh, and that's
2: a and, that's a story that drives it right home doesn't it
6: yeah uh it was very Convenient for the column anyway, but uh, more relevant, uh, the other day, the Department of Environmental uh, Protection and Energy, too, they threw that in a few years ago, uh, issued a report uh, detailing the increase in damage that has been done by bears in the last few years. It's uh, increasing on all uh, fronts, uh, you know, breaking into houses, uh, harming the, uh, farm animals and uh, even, you know, damaging vehicles, um, these things are increasing everywhere, the department said, and it's, they're increasing everywhere because the bear population's been increasing steadily. Uh, bears in Connecticut are estimated to be about, uh, 1200 uh, roaming the state if they were distributed e- evenly uh, every but of uh, course
2: they aren't right
6: <laughs> no they're not but increasingly they are uh but it would mean seven bears in every town if uh, we had a a fair share bear policy and uh, uh I just uh, think you know look we've we've got to control this the logic of, of leaving them as a protective species is that there's going to be seven bears in every town, and I think the bears are beginning to sense that they're being treated as a, as a protective species, and uh, you know I'm. It's sorry, very
2: similar think- to the crime story, isn't it? Once they realize they're being coddled, <laughs> no. they take advantage of the situation.
6: Well, last week the Meriden Record Journal had a story uh, interviewing police from all around the state, saying that the new juvenile crime law is not helping them at all. It's not coming down on. Car thefts, and it's really just making things worse for the police because while they can, they can detain uh, juvenile uh, car thieves uh, another two hours over the six hours that they used to be able to hold them. Uh, it just means they've got to watch them. In the uh, police station more often, and that's costing <laughs> them resources. They you know, right, they, right. they basically want uh, the criminal justice system to do something about them. And of course, the governor and the legislature, and uh, you know, the do-gooders don't want uh, any kids any you know punished for. For anything, and that uh, that word is getting around too. I, I suspect the bears are beginning to realize that nothing can be done to them. But and, uh, are, the,
2: um, are the are are houses going to have to be reinforced because the bears the bears have figured out that they can get into these flimsy structures?
6: Well, they've been breaking into homes. Uh, you know, the uh, the animal lovers and environmental extremists. and I consider myself an animal lover anyway. They've been saying for years we've got to learn to to live with the bears <laughs> i didn't realize they meant as roommates uh and i don't think that's what people uh people want I, we're just going to have to have a bear hunting season they're going to that's the logic of the policy now is we just leave them alone uh the only uh recommendation we get from the uh officials and the animal extremists is that uh you, you know have a bear in your yard you're just supposed to show him into your neighbor's yard and uh well you know guess what that's that's not a it's not a solution i mean they're they're they can be damaging and, and dangerous animals and uh, they've got to be treated as, as such uh, uh, you know we we eliminated wolves in Connecticut two centuries ago we eliminated them by by hunting uh, they're not exterminated uh, in north america but they're not around here mm-hmm. and i'm afraid that uh, we're going to have to do the same with the bears or every town's going to have a you know a dozen bears uh, doing damage and uh <laughs> that's just not going to be acceptable
2: but you know it's it's funny you were comparing to other animals but i think the comparison might be better to homeless people if homeless people were breaking into people's homes to get food and to find a place to sleep then i think that even liberal democrats would take action to fix the problem because they'd be they'd be forced to politically but somehow I don't understand how they get away with this stuff. Politically, they should be getting punished on this as well.
6: Well, we have made progress with with the homeless in Connecticut in recent years. Uh, Until just recently, the homeless population in Connecticut had been down for several years. Uh, There's more housing options for them now, more supportive uh, housing. And, uh, you know, I hope that uh, that continues. But, you know, the bears are, you know, the homeless are not cute and cuddly. The bears are. And I think that's uh, what is holding our legislators back from, uh, from doing something about them.
2: Yes, I, I suppose that's true, that they do look appealing on TV, especially when they're not actually breaking into houses or scaring people. And yet the story this weekend was about a 10-year-old boy uh, being harmed by a bear. Does, do you think that holds the power to change the dynamic?
6: Well, I, I hope it gets people's attention. I mean, we, we've had you know a number of well-publicized stories this year about bears breaking into people's houses. Uh, in some cases, the bears have you know broken into the same house more than once, and they're you know they're losing their their fear and uh, uh, they're increasingly a danger. So, are we going to do something about this or uh, or not? You know, it's it's funny in Connecticut you can hunt hunt, you know, cuddly bunnies and, you know, woodchucks and and birds and other inoffensive animals, but you can't hunt hunt bears or bobcats, which do actual damage, and I don't get that.
2: And are dangerous to humans. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, The other part of your column that you're referring to talked about the state constitutional amendment on early voting that is up for vote this election season. What are your feelings on that? I think it's too vague and it's needlessly
6: vague and I think it's
2: it's it's vague because
6: the legislative democratic majority I think wants to pull a fast one the uh the amendment would you know authorize the general assembly and the governor to uh enact laws to allow for early voting but uh it doesn't say what kind of early voting you know would be uh, a week ahead of the election, a month, more important, would it uh, have to be in-person voting or could it be uh, absentee ballot voting? If it's absentee ballot voting, you're just opening the door wide open for more voting fraud. And, you know, we're going to be told by the Democrats there's no voting fraud in Connecticut. And there's plenty of voting fraud in Connecticut. The former Democratic chairman in in Stanford a few weeks ago was was convicted on 28 counts of voting fraud, and all this voting fraud, almost all of it, involves absentee balloting. So I think we should know before we approve this amendment, uh, will early voting be in-person voting, which is, you know, fine, uh, or will be absentee ballot voting? That's where the, the, uh, the voter fraud is. If, if, when you separate the voter from the actual casting of his ballot, you're asking for voter fraud. And that's that's where it happens. Bridgeport has been full of absentee ballot fraud in recent years. The uh, One of the state legislative primaries down there is still open in, in litigation because of absentee ballot fraud. Uh, so, you know, don't tell me there's no, there's no voting fraud in Connecticut. Absentee ballots are rife for fraud, and this early voting amendment does not tell us whether this is going to be in-person voting or absentee ballot voting. It doesn't tell us what the early voting period will be. And they could have legislated this when they put the amendment uh, forward. And I, I don't think they should be rewarded for uh, saying, oh, let us legislate early voting, and we'll tell you later what it's going to be.
2: Well, the whole point of doing that, of leaving that flexibility, is so they can do, uh, construct the law in such a way as to not have it be traceable.
6: Well, that's, that's the problem. I mean, we, it's a big, this amendment is an enormous grant of arbitrary power to the governor and the legislature, and I don't think it should be given.
2: Chris Powell, Journal Inquirer, so many things to make you feel good about the politics of the state, and you write them up so beautifully.
6: I try, Todd. Uh, thank you.
2: Thank you, sir. Good to talk with you once again. That is, once again, Chris Powell. It is uh, discouraging stuff. 860-522-9842. Rob calling from Middletown. Hi, Rob. Hey, Todd.
3: You think if the Republicans win the midterms, they're going to go for the impeachment? Or do you think they're going to show their loyalty to their fraternity?
2: What do you think?
3: I think they're going to show their loyalty to their fraternity.
2: I think loyalty to of- fraternity is usually what wins out in politics, isn't it?
4: Seems to be.
2: It's um which goes back to the Herschel Walker thing. Were you listening to Herschel earlier? Yes. Is that what prompted the question?
3: No. Something I've been pondering for a couple of weeks.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Rob, for the call. Good to talk with you. Uh, the Herschel Walker um let me see if I can find that cut so I can play it for you. But Herschel Walker's pretty interesting on this stuff. Is this the right cut?
3: Thank you Senator Warnock. Now to you Mr. Walker. Recent ads have highlighted allegations of past domestic violence. They've raised questions about how transparent you've been as far as your resume in one minute. How do you respond to voters who question your integrity
0: both personally and professionally? Uh, first of all, I- I've been very transparent.
2: And I'm not This is not the one I was looking for, but let's uh, let's listen anyway. I just I find listening to Herschel Walker just fascinating. And His intelligence, just fascinating. And if you don't hear it, you have to listen because you might be thrown off by his uh, style of speaking and confuse the style of speaking with the intellect behind it.
0: And I'm not ashamed, to admit it. And I say I had a mental problem and I'd be a champion for mental health because so many people suffer from mental health. But to have people like Senator Warnock that demonize mental health, when I want to tell everyone out there you can get help don't listen to Senator Warnock and his people. You can get help. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask. But the problem with the truth is you just saw it. You just saw it because he won't answer that about evicting the people from the church. And I told him I will pay, pay their salary. You're evicting them right now we, we during have, these hard we have times. Not, we have not evicted. Oof. We have not evicted those I times. didn't write the article. We. we you, you're... you're. I, This
2: is a beautiful moment. I'm sorry, I didn't present enough context going into it. But it's a beautiful moment from the debate on Friday night between Herschel Walker, the football star of uh, years past, who's running for U.S. Senate in Georgia against Raphael Warnock, who is a preacher in the same church that, that Martin Luther King was the pastor in. And he's been a U.S. senator for two years, and he, he's serving a partial term, and he's up for a re-election because of that after only two years instead of six. And, you know, the media has been writing all this stuff about Herschel Walker, like he's this awful person just repeating accusations about supposedly coming from family members about having, uh, or girlfriends, about having uh, given money for um, for abortions in contradiction to his um, political philosophy regarding uh, being anti-abortion. And I find the whole thing to be problematic, the whole debate about a personal story that is unverified and unverifiable during a campaign. I don't know what you're supposed to do with it when it comes out, but um, except watch as the guy explains and, and, and his explanation is, well, it's not true. But the media keeps pounding him. So there's a similar kind of story, not quite the same, but a similar story, it turns out, going on against his opponent, the pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Georgia. And that the church owns property that has apartments in it, and those apartments have been are, are rented out to poor people, and that the church has uh, pursued evictions against some of those poor people and and Raphael Warnock denied that story in the in the same way that um, well not as forthrightly and directly but denied that story just as Herschel Walker has denied his story but there's no pounding of Warnock going on that would be equivalent to uh, to what's going on with Herschel Walker. So it's just interesting to dive deeper in to the scumminess of how politics works and how the media deals. But I do have to say, the um, I didn't say it earlier, for people who heard the earlier part of the program, we, we listened to a, a good chunk of uh, these pieces of the debate, and it was, it was really interesting what a good job the media did. The media in Georgia really asked... Good questions, firm questions, followed up nicely with those questions. I was uh, surprised because, you know, you get used to what goes on in a smaller state with less media, compared to a big state with a big city, and a big population. It's just different. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. The BPS Lawyers Traffic Center rants coming up after news. Mark Christopher, what's the latest on the
0: roads?